Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. Hello, Phoebe. Hi, Dad. How are you? I'm fine. I'm good. I'm good. It's episode 32. Episode 32. And uh, so, as... yeah, <laughs> where's that time gone? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was just thinking, though, do you remember when we started recording this? It was dark at night and everything. Yeah. And then the nights got lighter. And we said, oh, it's light outside when we're recording. Well, yeah, tonight it is dark outside. Dark again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're coming into that time of year again. Coming full so, circle. Yeah. That's been fun so far. And there's still plenty, plenty more to to come. S- yeah, so I know a few weeks ago we said like, oh, are we still going to be able to find things to talk about? And every single week we're like, oh my God, I found this story and it's fascinating. Yeah. I don't know where it's come from and how we've not heard about it. About I know, it there's so many which are fascinating in their own right. Mm. And if you dig, then there is a lot <laughs> of so stuff much. about there it. There is so much there. Yeah. There's so many things we just didn't know about until we actually mm. uh, start looking. So we had some feedback from a newest listener today. Hi Ruth. How exciting. Hi, Hi Ruth, Ruth, if you're listening. Um, Thanks for your feedback. Good you to have you feedback. here. Yeah, and hopefully you'll uh, go back through various episodes we've done in the past and mm. uh, listen to a few more of our fascinating tales of true crime from the UK and Europe. Which do you think is your favourite episode that you've done so far? I did like the Peter London story. I know it was a two-parter, but it was a that was a fascinating story. That was a really good one. Um, yeah. Denmark, wasn't it? Starting Denmark, actually went to the States, which was a little bit out of mm. our uh, our zone. <laughs> our remit. But then, but then <laughs> very came much back, came so. back to Denmark. So uh, yeah, but that was a, that was a good story. That was good. How about you? I think my favourite is probably the Dupont de Ligonnès family one. Okay, yeah, because that was just fascinating. Uh, the family that disappeared or did they disappear yeah yeah, that's a good one they're good places to start i reckon yeah Yeah, we've found we've found some amazing stories Mm. and still plenty to go oh my goodness yes (laughs) i don't know if you've heard this but the true crime community has been ablaze this week with the news about gabby petito have you picked up on this story at all so um (laughs) he was on a road trip around america in this converted van with her boyfriend um and then last weekend he arrived back in florida back at home in florida without her refusing to talk to the police and lawyered up immediately they have no idea where she is They have no sort of contact from her since about the 25th of August. He's point blank refusing to talk to the police. Um, And there is no idea where she is. Wow. Um, Yeah. So, I mean, that looks pretty black and white (laughs) to me. But there is a lot. There must be something deeper going on. But the police can't talk to him. I'm not sure why they can't talk to him. But they've said that he's a person of interest. It's still very much a missing person's case, they're saying. But... um, there came some footage from about three weeks ago, I think it was, when they had a fight and the police got called on to it. Oh, okay. And like body cam footage of them. And she ba- they basically said that it was kind of like a mental breakdown for her. And they made them kind of separate and just 
dodgy, really dodgy, the whole thing. But at the same time, um, the same weekend that she was last seen, um, a newlywed couple were murdered in this campsite not very far away from where she was last seen. Oh. So the police are trying to work out if there's a link between that at all. Wow. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's everywhere is just full of news of her and she was a morbid listener she was a really big fan of the morbid podcast oh so i'm a huge morbid fan and very much part of their kind of community so yeah there's been a lot on that group about it and um a great podcast has kind of sprung up to kind of fill in the gaps called going west well they're an established podcast but they've done two really good episodes about kind of what's happened so far and they're keeping people really updated with what's going on so Definitely a really interesting case to watch and see it unfold, I think. Well, it's quite a road trip from Utah back to Florida. Ooh. Yeah, that's sort the thing. So it's not like he must have just like left her overnight and driven straight home because that would have taken quite a long time to get home. Yeah. Thank you for the information about that. It's certainly one to keep an eye on. Yeah, definitely. As, uh, as things develop there. It's like a true crime story un- unfolding in front of our eyes. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this episode, episode 32, Phoebe, I'm going to tell you about Stilo Pantupio Christofi. Okay. Stilo was born in 1900 in Cyprus, which is uh, one of the Greek islands. In fact, it's as far east in terms of Greece as you can get. And it's actually split in half. It's uh, half Greek, half Turkish. So you have Greek Cypriots and Turkish Cypriots. A very popular holiday destination. So, and Ayanapa is. I think it is, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, never been, but, um, yeah. Uh, So, Stilo, she grew up in a small rural village. She had no formal education and was generally regarded as being illiterate all her life. She married young, in her teens, to one of the poorest men in the village. Oh, right, okay. (laughs) And it really was, I I get the impression, it was a very rural sort of place where families just lived there for generation after generation and, uh, yeah, didn't really do much else other than live in this village and um, farm, basically. The only income that they had after they were married was from a small olive grove, which the family between them owned. Yes, I guess they just harvested olives and sold them. As uh, as you would. <laughs> um, now, Stilo gave birth to a son, Stavros. Now, I'm not entirely sure of the year because I can't actually find any record of it. But working backwards from other information that I've discovered, I think she must have been around about 18. Okay. So that would have been in 1918. Mm-hmm. And also, I think Stavros was her only offspring. She didn't have any other children at all. Cool. Not much is known about the next few years, but Stavros grew up in the same village. But he was a little bit more adventurous. He wasn't content with just staying in in the village, harvesting olives for the rest of his life. Uh, And when he was old enough, he actually moved to Nicosia, which is, I think, the capital of Cyprus, to work as a waiter there. And then in 1941, when he had saved up enough money, he actually came to the UK. Now, I found that quite interesting because in 1941, the, the United Kingdom was in the middle of a war with, yeah. with Germany. 
<laughs> but was he not called up to war? <laughs> well, no. Um, he, he came to London, in actual fact, yeah. and he found work as a wine waiter in the Café de Paris, which, oh, is, uh, which was and still is, I think, although I believe it's closed at the moment because of covid unless it's reopened i'm not sure but um it was like a theater club or sort of cabaret bar it was oh, like okay. a nightclub that put on shows and it's sort cool. of in the leicester square area of london nice um, oh i, I think, think i know which one you mean actually Cafe Paris, yeah. There. yeah yeah it's quite a famous uh nightclub yeah. it's been there since the very early 1900s but uh yeah, yeah. 1941 during the war he, he started working there Stavros met a German-born fashion model called Hella Bleicher, who was also working in London. Although she was a fashion model, she also worked in fashion shops. They got on really well. They married, had a very happy life together, uh, and they had three children. They They worked hard at their respective jobs, and eventually they managed to move to their own home in Hampstead in London, which... By these, by these yeah. stand, today's standards, he's very good. He's very nice yeah. part of London. So we're probably looking at uh, late 1940s by this stage. Okay. Early, early 1950s. Now, in July 1953, Stilo, Stavros's mother, decided to come to England to visit her son, who she hadn't actually seen for 12 years. Wow, okay. When he left in 1941. Uh, and to meet his wife, her daughter-in-law, and to meet her three grandchildren that she'd never oh, seen. There you go. So she packed her bags, came over to England. So as I mentioned before, Stilo was generally regarded as being illiterate. She couldn't read or, or write particularly, and as a result, she had virtually no grasp of the English language at all. Okay. So she was very dependent on... Stavros translating everything for yeah. her and, and, and yeah, to talking with her grandchildren and, and her daughter-in-law. God, I bet coming from like small town Greece, where yeah. that's all she, uh, Cyprus is all she's known, coming to like London in the 50s. <laughs> oh my God, that would just blown your brain. Yeah, because 50s would have been starting to get interesting and exciting, yeah. in London, I should think. And, and um, Stavros was still working at the Café de Paris, so he was, yeah, got a good solid job there. Well, very soon after her arrival in their house in Hampstead, the atmosphere in the otherwise happy home became sour. Oh, no. Stilo was constantly criticising Hella, finding fault with pretty much everything she Mm. did. Oh, dear. Stilo didn't like that the children were not being brought up in the Greek traditions that she was and that she saw all her sort of friends' children being brought up. Uh, And there were many things she didn't like about the way in which her son had adopted the life in the UK. She felt that this is her son. He should be Greek, doing Greek things, and her grandchildren should be very much brought up in a Greek Greek Orthodox way. And Mm, I I mean that in in the religious sense as well, as as we touch on that later on a little bit as well. Because, you know, remember, she did come from a very traditional Greek village background. So all of this 
was completely new to her, as you pointed yeah. out. Yeah, imagine coming from that <laughs> background <laughs> to London and and seeing that your your son and his family were all part of it now. It just must have yeah. blown her mind. Now, I'm not sure if it was her intention to stay in the UK permanently or whether she was just planning to stay for a little while, see them, spend a few months maybe, and then go back home. But after 12 months of living with the family, <laughs> Hella had had enough. <laughs> yeah, got a bet. <laughs> Longer gave, than I'd have coped. <laughs> she gave Stavros an ultimatum. He was to tell his mother to leave, to go back to Cyprus. So Hella planned to take the three children to visit her family in Germany that summer. Okay. So we, this okay. is now July 1954. And she expected that Stilo would be gone by the time she got back. It's pretty reasonable. So, of course, Stilo did not like this at no. all. <laughs> so one night shortly after being told that, after Stavros had set off for his evening work at the Café de Paris and the children were in bed, Stilo took a heavy metal ash pan from the boiler in the kitchen she crept up behind Hella and hit her hard over the head. Oh, my God. Yeah. Hella collapsed on the floor, where Stilo then used a scarf to strangle her to death. Oh, my God. It is, report- yeah, it is reported that she used so much force with the strangulation of pulling this scarf tight around her that it actually broke the skin <gasps> around her neck. Oh, my God. She then removed Hella's wedding ring. But then, of course, she was, didn't know what to do. She hadn't really thought this through. There she was in the house with this bashed and strangled body lying on the floor on this summer's evening. What was she going to do with the body? So, like any, <laughs> anyone would, <laughs> she dragged it into the back garden, Got a mm-hmm. load of newspaper, which she soaked in paraffin, put it all around the body and set fire to it. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say she cut it up. <laughs> no, she tried to cremate the body in the back garden wow. that evening. There no one's going to notice that, are they? Nobody's going to notice. But, of course, someone did. Um, a neighbour, John Young, who was letting his dog out, saw what he thought was a mannequin being burnt in the garden. Now, why is it whenever there's... <laughs> People finding bodies, they always say, I thought it was a mannequin. I thought it was a tailor's dummy, but it turned out to be a real body. body. (laughs) Maybe suspension of disbelief, that can't possibly be a body. I can't possibly be seeing a body being burnt in the back garden. But on the other hand, why on earth would you be burning a mannequin? (laughs) It's rarely a mannequin, is it? (laughs) Yeah. But it it always seems to be, oh, we thought it was a mannequin. (laughs) It was a real body. And that was the case. (laughs) <laughs> in in this situation as well not now, a mannequin so he was a witness to the fact that he actually saw a body because he didn't know whose it was at the time being burnt in the garden on this july night in 1954 now Stilo had to think of a story to explain what had happened <laughs> why her daughter-in-law was <laughs> Burning yeah. in the garden. Yeah, bashed, strangled, and now half burnt in the garden, yeah, with a missing wedding ring. So at about 1 a.m., she ran out into the street and stopped a passing car, shouting, 
Please come, fire burning, children sleeping. Okay. So, so that was as much as her English as she'd learned over the previous 12 months sort of allowed her to say. So the passengers of the car called the fire brigade who came, put out the flames and discovered to their horror the charred remains of Hella. So of still in the, the garden. Or still in the garden, yeah. Still okay. in the still in the pile of whatever it was in the garden, yeah. The police came. The body wasn't as badly damaged as I think people think of a set fire to this mm. body, it will go quickly, but it takes an awful no. lot to, to yeah. completely I mean, the, incinerate a body. The heat of like crematoriums when they kind of cremate people is absolutely unbelievable, isn't it's, it? Like it's, it's colossal. Ridiculously hot. It's not it's, t- it's, temp- it's temperatures that you can't really get at yeah. home in the garden, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You couldn't do it with just a bit of, even if it was paraffin soap. A newspaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the police came and they could quite easily identify Hella and observe the strangulation marks that were around her neck. So that's oh. how they knew that she'd been strangled and that uh, that in itself, had, as I mentioned earlier, cut through the skin. Nicholas Stavros came home to this awful, awful scene that awaited him. Whether or not they contacted him at work and fetched him or whether he just came home, I, I don't know, but it must have been late at night. Now, Stilo had to speak through him as her interpreter. So oh Stavros became her interpreter while she explained to the police her story, which yeah. was that she had been asleep She'd heard the voices of two men and she got up and looked outside. She claims to have seen one man in the garden next to this fire. She said she went to get Hella, but found her missing from her bed. Okay. So she went to get water for the flames to pour over the flames before then calling for help. That was her story. Okay. Okay. Because there were no men in the garden and there were no, no uh, yeah. But that, that was what she came up with. So the police were not at all convinced by this. Yeah, no. <laughs> uh, they carried out a search and they found a Heller's wedding ring in Stilo's bedroom, wrapped up in a piece of paper. <sighs> Rookie error that. Should have just got rid of it. Why take it off at all? Yeah. Whether, they thought it, whether it was to try and make it look like some sort of robbery. Yeah. Would you really kill someone, burn their body for a wedding ring? No. Uh, it was probably more <laughs> symbolic than that, that she... Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So, Stilo was arrested. Good. So, this is 1954. She is 54, because she is as old yeah. as that century. Now, Stavros pleaded with his mother and her lawyers for her to plead insanity. Okay. Around all this, but Stilo she sounds pretty insane to me. Well, well, she does, and we're back into that territory again as we, yeah. we seem to find ourselves. I mean, insane in the like she's probably not, but she just sounds a little bit crazy. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll come on to that actually in a minute, and I think okay. you can kind of see where she's coming from. It's not right at all. Right. So if she couldn't speak any English at all and he was having to translate, surely he could have done a better way of like phrasing things so that she didn't get quite so upset about it. Like, oh, maybe we should go back to Greece together or not. My wife would like you to leave now. (laughs) Like, 
he could have maybe, you know, yeah. just manipulated the situation a little bit because <laughs> it was all on him to translate for her. So maybe yeah. Yeah. he could have, you know, just let, let her down a little bit more gently. Well, than say, just go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my wife wants you to leave. <laughs> Who knows what he actually said? I mean, maybe he did. Yeah. We don't know exactly what he said. The general yeah, gist true. was, uh, okay, Stavros, I'm taking the kids to Germany for a bit of a holiday to see their other grandparents. When we get back, we're going to see Granny Stilo gone, please. Yeah. So, yeah, Stavros pleaded with his mother to claim insanity. But Stilo said, I am a poor woman with no education, but I am not a mad woman. At least yeah. that's what she said was translated, because I don't think her English was up to actually saying those words. No. <laughs> now, she was on remand in custody. She was on remand in Holloway. Okay. The famous woman's prison in London, which we mentioned a few weeks ago in the case yeah. of Edith Thompson. Now, yes. <laughs> there is a tie-up between this case and Edith Thompson. Uh, I apologise okay. for my obsession with the Edith Thompson case. <laughs> I think I know what's coming. <laughs> but I find it, I, I still find it fascinating, but I promise you after this one, I won't, <laughs> I won't go near the Edith Thompson case at okay. all. <laughs> so she's on remand in Holloway. From the July of 1954 through to October, she was observed by the chief medical officer, a Dr. T. Christie, who thought that she was insane, but medically fit to stand trial. That was just his observation. He diagnosed that she was suffering from a delusional disorder that made her fear that her grandchildren would not be brought up properly and that the culture clash would prevent her from seeing them. Okay. So she she was worried that because of the way they were being brought up, they wouldn't want anything to do with her. That doesn't sound like delusion, though. That just sounds like a, like a genuine worry that she had. Yeah. But maybe they just looked at it like a crazy old greek lady and well, just yes. signed it off to that i uh, mean she still killed a daughter-in-law she did so she's pretty that's crazy. pretty crazy <laughs> yeah. but yeah. um yeah and that doesn't mean what... she's insane just because she did something ridiculous so the trial started on the 25th of october 1954 again really, really quite quickly. quickly after the actual event so it happened in july august three months later yeah. The trial started at the Old Bailey. That would never happen today, would it, ever? I don't think so, no. No. The judge, Mr Justice Devlin, and the court were presented evidence of the condition of Heller's body and of the stories that Stilo had told and the fact that the wedding ring was found hidden in her bedroom or the room that she was using. The jury of 10 men and two women took just under two hours to find her guilty of murder, and she was sentenced to death by hanging. Oh, dear. Now, at this point, I need to tell you that this was not the first time that Stilo had been accused of murder. Interesting. In 1925, back in her home village in Mm. Cyprus, she and two other women allegedly killed Stilo's mother-in-law <gasps> by beating her and ramming a piece of burning wood into her mouth. Oh, my God. Which is sometimes described as a torch. So I don't know if they actually, it sounds really primitive, but whether they actually did have like 
tor- burning torches like a, on the yeah. walls of the like in Shrek that they like yeah. chase the ogre away with. <laughs> like when we used to go to the battle bonfires, and they used to come down yes. the street and they had those on the wall. What do you see them in yeah. films these on the wall? So whether it, sometimes it's described as a torch, sometimes a piece of burning wood. But okay. there was this piece of burning wood that they beat this woman up and they rammed it into her into her mouth and down her oh. throat and as a result of which she died. Now, at the time, there was insufficient evidence within this village, and it was all very parochial. All everything then was done on a very small scale. It wouldn't have gone to the big city for trial or anything. It would have been dealt with by the local sort of townsfolk. Yeah, Um, and they, at the time, decided there was insufficient evidence to decide exactly who had killed the mother-in-law. So she and I assume the other two women were acquitted. Wow, okay. <laughs> so Stilo has a thing about in-laws. <laughs> yeah, clearly. She, she allegedly was involved in the killing of her mother-in-law and she has been found guilty of mm. killing her daughter-in-law. I was half expecting yeah. you to say, actually, um, she was covering up for her son who actually killed his no. wife and... Um, yeah, she agreed to take the fall for it, basically, or something like that. No, I think uh, Stavros was pretty upset with his mother. Yeah, I mean, you would be, wouldn't you? Really? She's Uh, not left your house for a year. She's made your life misery for a year. You ask her politely to leave, (laughs) and she murders your wife. That's not... Yeah, who I genuinely believe, from what I've read, they they had a really loving, happy relationship and three young children. So while in prison in Holloway, Stilo was examined again, this time by three psychiatrists who independently examined her. And they found her not insane by the legal standards of the time. She lodged an appeal on the 29th of November, but it was announced on the 12th of December that there would be no reprieve. Six Labour MPs in the Houses of Parliament tabled a motion condemning the decision not to reprieve her death sentence. Her execution was set for 9am on the 15th of December, just three days after the appeal was denied. They did not hang around, did they? They didn't. Unbelievably quick. You just... By this stage... Um, I mean, okay, we're in the last sort of decade of the death sentence being near enough of, of, of being available as a punishment in the UK. You'd have thought they'd be really careful and examine mm. every piece of evidence. Stilo asked for a Greek Orthodox cross to be hanged on the wall of the execution chamber okay. because of her beliefs and religion and one of the beliefs that she hoped that her grandchildren would be brought up in but clearly it didn't happen Uh, and that request was granted in fact it was hanging on the wall of the execution chamber right up until the time when the prison was redeveloped in 1971 that was interesting on the morning of the execution, Steeler was made to wear the regulation rubberized canvas underpants, which all condemned prisoners are required to wear. Okay. And she was led to the gallows. The executioner was Albert Pierpoint. He set the drop of the rope to eight feet and four inches, which is about two and a half meters. 
and she was hanged. Stilo Christophe was the first woman to have been hanged in the UK at Holloway since Edith Thompson, 32 years earlier in 1923. <laughs> uh, she was also the penultimate woman to be hanged in the UK, followed only by Ruth Ellis. So her body was actually taken for autopsy, as were the regulations of the time. Yeah. It didn't last very long, I don't suppose, because <laughs> the cause of death would be pretty obvious. Yeah. Uh, and her body was buried in the grounds of Holloway until 1971, which, as we covered in episode 28, <laughs> her yeah. body and the body of three other hanged women were exhumed from the prison grounds and moved to the Brookwood Cemetery in Surrey, where she still lies, despite having been disturbed by the re-exhumation of Edith Thompson in 2018. In fact, if you look back at the Edith Thompson website, one Mm -hmm. of the things they had to do was get permission from the families of the other people that were buried in that mass grave, where the four four women were, and the person that came forward from the Christophe family was her grandson, Toby Christophe. Ah, oh, there you go. Now, there was an episode of Murder, Mystery and My Family about Stilo Christophe, where Toby oh. Christophe tried to prove or try to have proved that his grandmother was not guilty or at least should not have been sentenced to death. Okay. But after re-examination of, of the case... Uh, the judge found that the judgment at the time was sound uh, and then and the conviction was safe. Much of the sort of appeal from Toby Christophe centred around the fact that Stilo had very little access to independent translators. Yeah. To start with, it was true, her yeah. son, and then later on they... They found like a, a Greek translator, but not necessarily a Cypriot one. And so right, some okay. things might have been misinterpreted and, and stuff like that. So that that was the main grounds for the yeah, uh, okay. for the appeal in, in this sort of um, retrospective review of the case. That's fair enough, I guess. Yeah. Because if you so, couldn't communicate properly, then she couldn't get her point across properly, could she? But... No. Because the evidence kind of spoke for itself, didn't it? Yeah. Um, Now, Albert Pierpoint, the executioner, noted in his autobiography, which might be an interesting read, actually. That'd be a really interesting (laughs) read, yeah. How little press interest had been in Stilo's execution. The previous one, Edith Thompson, that that generated a lot of interest. And, of course... Ruth Ellis got an awful lot of attention because she yeah. was young and glamorous and, and all the rest of it. So Albert Pierpoint put it down to the fact that she was a middle-aged, unattractive mother-in-law. Yeah. So, yeah, she went by pretty unnoticed, really. But nevertheless, that is the story of Stilo Christoffi. Wow. Wow. I mean... It's crazy, but not in an insane sort of way. In a, oh my yeah. God, he'd do that sort of way. <laughs> it's quite extreme, like, to be told, go home, please, and then you kill your daughter-in-law. 
yeah, so, yeah well, well, we don't we don't know the actual words that were used to tell her to go no. home but maybe it was but, really nice about it maybe... yeah but either way so like, we don't know if there was like huge arguments or no. something else had happened or she threatened no. or yeah whatever but well, that was the course was of quite event. extreme it was quite but... extreme yeah i suppose with stavros being her only son these were her only grandchildren yeah and maybe she was desperately sad to see them being brought up in a way quite different to how she would have expected because her i guess her upbringing had been so sheltered hadn't it yeah she literally just knew what she knew from her tiny little exactly yeah yeah she had no concept of the wider world really i think and so it must have been a shock to her Mm. to see her family living this sort of western lifestyle in uh, a very thriving london of the time maybe some more conversations would have been a good thing to have not just murdering your daughter-in-law because that's one way to make sure that they're not going to you know follow in those (laughs) greek cypriot traditions is by murdering their mother so Mm. that's probably not the way to go around but did she have form with her mother-in-law wow so there we go. There's, there's, uh, yeah. There are quite a lot of pictures of her and of the, the family. And uh, I was just thinking about the boiler in the kitchen where she got this uh, ash pan from yeah. and, and bashed Hella over the head with it. And I remember in our house in, in Greenford, that was the, boiler, the sort of boiler that we used to have. It was a, oh, okay. a, a Coke boiler in the, in the kitchen. It was yeah. eventually replaced with gas, but not until I was about 12 or something. It was wow, okay. <laughs> you know, all we had was this Coke boiler. So that just heated the water, really. There was no central heating from it. But yeah, there was always ash and everything that had to be cleared out from it. And uh, I just remember the whole thing was very much like cast iron. Yeah. And uh, I did find a picture of that sort of boiler, <laughs> not okay. the boiler in question, but a boiler of the time. Uh, and I'll put that on our on our social pages. Bob, thank you very much. I was thinking, like, she must be pretty strong to be able to like move a dead body out of the house yeah. into the garden. Yeah, she was under five feet tall. Wow. Yeah, she doesn't look like what I'd kind of pictured in my head at all. But you're absolutely right. How how would she drag? Yeah, drag a body out of the house interesting yeah well thank you for that that was a very interesting case thank you very much yeah you're you're very welcome uh i say i was first alerted to it because of the fact that uh, she was one of the bodies that was part of the Mm -hmm. mass exhumation but we uh, probably won't cover the other two will we because they were baby farmers yeah that's not an area not really our style (laughs) no we'll leave that one alone there we go um so you can find these pictures that i will put up of Stilo, Christophe, and various members of her family onto our Instagram page, which is at Dad and Daughter Do Death. And on our Facebook page, Dad and Daughter Do Death. You can always contact us to discuss this story or any others that we've done or suggest stories that you'd like us to cover by emailing us at Dad and Daughter Do Death at gmail.com.
thank you very much for listening to us again this week if you've enjoyed it please do drop us a review a like and some star rating subscribe download and tell your friends yeah tell your friends tell your family if you're going on any long journeys listen to us us (laughs) (laughs) so join us next time and once again dad and daughter do death